Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So my mistake was last episode proclaiming that we're back. This episode would be the start of our ramp up to the season. We'd be covering training camp. We are officially back to two episodes a week. So the Winged Wheel podcast season has started. So yes, we will be back with another main episode on Wednesday. Declared all of that. Immediately got extremely sick. Like I think since editing and posting the last episode, I did not get out of bed. Essentially, I tried golfing this morning and that was a travesty. Immediately sick. So now we're back. Hold on. You went golfing today and it was a travesty? That feels like life back to normal for you. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? I walked out. I walked into that one and you know, Evan not being here, he'd appreciate you taking that shot at me. Yeah. I, I figured I had to do something in his honor. Folks, Red Wings training camp is underway. The preseason is within sight. Let's jump into the episode. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL and more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Mika's dad. I feel like that's going to be more relevant down the road, so I might as well lean into it. Yeah, you you build your brand now. Yeah. Very big baller brand of you. <laughs> that's Brad Crisco. And not uh, not pictured on this episode is Evan Lobsinger. He is away on his Italian vacation with his now bride. Congratulations to Evan and Catherine. The entire podcast is married. Took you guys long enough. Yeah, well, we watched <laughs> you do it, and then we were like, yeah, we'll take our Yeah, you, you saw my uh, eighth wedding anniversary roll by, and you're like, you know what? Great idea. Probably should get around to that. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about training camp, days one and two, the red and white game, everything that's happened in there. We saw a line combination that we've all talked about for a long time. We'll be taking Derek Lalonde's takeaways, who stood out, who continued their strong play from last season, all of that and a lot more. We're going to be talking about the Red Wings overall, some conversation about their projections, what this year means for the team overall in the rebuild. It's not a new conversation, but it's an ongoing conversation. There is a look forward to the preseason and what to expect for the Red Wings, what we want to see, and some NHL news across the league and more before we jump into overtime. Before all that, we want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to support the show, you get benefits like access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, our Patreon-exclusive Overtime bonus episodes, and you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority of them going to Patreon supporters. So again, patreon.com slash Podcast, And Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA the first one this season. This is our third year running it in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. Saturday, November 4th, it's the game against the Boston Bruins. Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, again, a partnered event with the Red Wings where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast at the arena. It is going to feature a special guest, Ken Daniels, and we always add someone else to the mix. We're not going to spoil the surprise this time. You get a discounted ticket to the game. You sit in Winged Wheel Podcast-specific seating sections. You get access to the pre-game live recording of the episode. And with every ticket sold, you get a co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast beanie this time. Last year, we gave away a hat. This year, you get the official licensed Red Wings beanie co-branded with the Winged Wheel Podcast logo. In addition to that, you also will have merch and giveaways and prizes and things at the event you will get access to. Food and drinks will be available as well, of course. So again... 
Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, Saturday, November 4th. The first 400 tickets get that beanie, and they're already over halfway sold. So be sure to get your tickets today. The link is in the description of this episode, or you can type in wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings in your browser. If that doesn't work, go directly to the link fevo-enterprise.com slash event slash wingedwheelpodcast. Again, fevo-enterprise.com slash event slash wingedwheelpodcast. Get your tickets today. Oh, a portion of the proceeds of every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Of course. Okay. Training camp. Well underway. And it was a really cool thing to see highlighted immediately the line of Debrinket Larkin Raymond. Now, we talked a lot about this leading up to the season. Does this make the most sense? Is this what we're going to see sticking? Obviously, you're going to see Larkin as the first line center. Mostly, obviously, you're going to see Debrinket as the top line winger. That was part of why he wanted to go somewhere other than Ottawa, namely Detroit, because it's his hometown team. But that's Detroit's three biggest offensive weapons together. So does this mean they're going to stick together all year? No, we know that's not the case. But what did this mean to see them come out right off the hop at, at camp like that? means he's at least thinking about it, which is all I needed. Because, again, so much is going to change between now and the preseason, let alone the start of the season. But, again... What training camp is good for is it gives a bit of insight into what the coaching staff is at least thinking about, what they're pondering, what they're trying, what they're working with. So the fact that they came out with that line right out of the gate would indicate to me that's probably what his preference would be if it were to all work out. And the big meaning behind that in the bigger picture for the Red Wings would be they have a legitimate, powerful, offensive threat on the first line, which it's been a while since we could say that with any legitimacy. You know, if Raymond has a bounce back year, Debrinkit is what Debrinkit is, and Larkin is what Larkin is. That's that's a hell of a lot of offense on that top line, and you have Larkin to at least calm everything down defensively. I know Raymond is a you know plus defensive winger, generally speaking. Uh, Debrinkit is not but that's okay. Two yep. out of three with a lot of offense is a perfectly acceptable formula. Something that Debrinket said in an interview was he know he knows last year his goal scoring was down and he could have done a better job of working to convert those opportunities. And he also said that in previous years, he felt that he was a better two-way forward in that last year that he'd really kind of let himself down on that front and he wants to continue to improve. He's coming into Derek Lalonde's system, so he's going to no matter what. It, it, you have to. It's sink or swim in terms of be a defensively responsible forward. And that's not new to the Red Wings. You go back to the Babcock era, you go back to even prior to that, the forward group had to be defensively responsible for the most part. But if Debrinkit really takes a step up from last year, like we're excited about Debrinkit as he is. If he takes a step up from last year, which he should, you know, you're not going to worry about that right now. You're just happy to have the added offense to the Red Wings core, but he should take that step then that's just a further boost to what you mentioned. Mind you, I'm looking at this lineup, and, and the lines are going to juggle a lot during the season, and they juggled even over the course of training camp because it's training camp. It's literally practice. But Debrinkit, Larkin, Raymond, yes, and then I think it was Rasmussen, Kopp, Perron, Sprong, Fabry, Comfer, Costin, Valeno, Fisher with Bear Grinnett cycling in, or he was playing with Casper um, and Danielson. 
that's not bad by Red Wing standards. It's not good by league standards. I mean, there's a lot to be desired there past the first line. But something that I do see is if the depth isn't clicking, what's immediately going to happen is Raymond is going to get pulled down, right? I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, and it's it's probably worth repeating to me. There's no formula here where you're going to have a good second line, at least offensively. You're just not. Raymond doesn't drop down and save that line. And when I mean good, I'm, I'm talking like league average. Compared to the rest of the NHL. Yeah, if you have Larkin and Debrinket on the top line, is there a formula with what's left to get a league average second line? And the answer is probably no. So, my theory was, load up the first line, and then you take your three very gifted defensive forwards with some offense, like, you know, a JT Comfort, and Andrew Kopp, Michael Rasmussen are the type of guys who fit this bill. But you create a somewhat below average offensive second line, but a plus defensive second line to kind of weather the storm yeah. when the other four line, the other three lines are not on the ice. You know, if you have Sprong and Fabry and whoever on the third line, that's a plus third line by NHL standards. You know, Larkin to Brinkett Raymond has the opportunity to be a plus first line by NHL standards. So, you know, Raymond would help balance out the offense, but again, I think, you know, that's shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. There, there's just no way to save it per se. So what you try to do is weather the storm. And I think with the combination of guys they have, that's possible. You know, we've seen what Rasmussen can do offensively, you know, his 30 to 40 points, but he's a plus defensive player. Comfort, same thing. Yeah, last year he had the 50 plus, but I don't think that's going to be a regular thing. Same thing with Andrew Kopp. That could be the second line right there. And uh, you just run with it, but yeah, I, I understand the logic with wanting to put Raymond there, but I just, I think that creates a bigger problem while solving a smaller problem. What is hopeful for me, though, is because so many small holes have been plugged, not with these fantastic top-end pieces, like Debrinket is obviously the shining prize of Eisenman's offseason, but besides that, you brought in JT Confer, and that's good. He's a good player. You like him. Contract, opinions on the contract notwithstanding, Costin is a great addition to the bottom six. Fisher could be a good addition to the bottom six, et cetera. But even though they're not top-end guys, there are more options to not just be able to weather the storm, like you mentioned, Brad, or have close enough to league average second or third line or even fourth line. You have more opportunities to have players who are genuinely NHL-level players, which I, I know the bar is on the floor. <laughs> Imagine a cup-contending team saying, oh, we have a roster full of guys who deserve to be in the NHL. That's where the Red Wings are at in the rebuild. So this is nice. We'll, we'll take it. There's more opportunities for chemistry to develop between these guys, and maybe you get a spark between three, I don't even want to say unlikely players, but a combination you wouldn't have had the option for before. It's not impossible to say, especially if Fabry and Rasmussen stay healthy. Those are both guys who I think maybe we're discounting the amount of offensive contribution they can have. I've talked to a lot of people who are big believers in what Rasmussen can do, especially with the step we've seen him take over the last few years. But, you know, if you have Sprong in the middle six and he's really meshing with Kopp or Comfer and whoever else on the wing, then yeah, it's it's going to be shuffling deck chairs for sure. But with some active line shuffling, and I can't believe I'm calling for this after what Blasio was doing during a lot of his time, which was arbitrary line shuffling. 
But with some active line shuffling, you can probably have, you know, pray for health, a, a good first line and just a mix and match of something that is working for the second line and working for the third line and working for the fourth line. And the minutes are probably going to be spread a lot more evenly between those nine players than would traditionally happen for a, a cup contender. Yeah, it, it's about what type of matchup game uh, the coach wants to play. Because again, I I think with the way the Red Wings are structured right now, maybe not against the you know upper echelon of the league, but I, I think in the bottom six, the third and fourth lines, the Red Wings would match up really well against most other teams' third, fourth lines. It's a good bottom six. I think they would probably, you know, if you're looking at teams in their range that they're going to be battling for a playoff spot, with, I think that might be their biggest advantage is that they can out-depth these teams and, you know, you throw Sprong and Fabry and, you know, Cop out against Ottawa's third line. They should absolutely run them over. The question is, yeah, that second line's not going to keep up with almost every other second line in the NHL. Very few anyway. So, there again, there's a lot of options and, you know, this is the exact time of year. You know, screw around with everything and practice and line rushes and preseason. Try everything. Yep. See what the hell works. This See is, if you you notice anything substantial. Like if, oh, Larkin seems to be force-feeding his right, the right side because he's a lefty. Okay, maybe you shuffled to break it around to get him in that spot to get him a few more touches. You know, Comfer is a righty, so he might be forcing it to the left side. You know, little things like that that you can pay attention to to see what ends up generating the most, you know, puck possession. Something that we talked about a lot during the offseason – Towards the, the second half of last season and over the course of the offseason was Lucas Raymond and what he had to do to improve. He wasn't terrible last year, but he didn't take the step that we know he could have based on how strong he was in his rookie campaign, which is essentially, you know, if Cider and Zegers didn't exist, he'd have a great case against Bunting for the Calder. His strength, his size, his power, his strength behind his shot, his explosiveness, etc., Max Boltman of the Athletic Detroit, good friend of the show, noted that Raymond last year was listed at about 176 in terms of weight. And I think coming into camp, he's at 189 or 188. And so that whole, he's talked about, you know, wanting to put on strength. That's what he's been working on over the offseason, putting on muscle. Guy's bigger now, and it has been noted already that he looks more explosive. He was the standout player in the first day of camp, which... Don't take home too many storylines from training camp. It's training camp. Last year, we talked about how good Philip Zadina looked, and he did look really good in training camp and in preseason. And I'll make the same joke I made the last episode. He now plays for the San Jose Sharks. But if you could write down one thing that you want to see from day one of training camp, it would be Lucas Raymond's standout player because so much of this season rides on how much he can improve. So Lucas Raymond looks like he's put on muscle. Looks like he's put on power in terms of his stride, and you have to think that that can translate to his shot as well. So how big of an impact could that have for the Red Wings? God, we really are in best shape of his life season. <laughs> it's not that different than the NFL, man. No, it, it really isn't. You know, if, if I want to take the, like, extremely optimistic view of something that is obviously important, but obviously not the be-all, end-all, though, it could be very significant because Lucas Raymond turning into a 70, 80 point player could be one of the biggest developments for this rebuild because they need, need guys to step up and uh, overachieve. They need guys 
to put up offense because obviously that's been their weakest spot for a while now. If all of a sudden he's a little faster, he's a little quicker, he's winning a few more puck battles, and the puck's on his stick more, well, that's we know how good he is with the puck on his stick, so there's no concerns there. It's just a matter of getting it there more. And, you know, you talked about Debrinkit trying to be a 200-foot player, and it's funny, too, because I had this exact conversation with Mika this week teaching her some, like, more structural things with hockey now that she's at a higher level. It's like... Roughly as tall as Debrinkit, too. Yeah, Mika. and yeah, because Mika's, Mika's like Debrinkit, all offense, all gas, no breaks. <laughs> um, Sally's like Wallman, though. Oh, 100%. But, um, you know, on the puck battles, the defensive side, the more of those you're winning, the more responsible you are, the more you have the puck. And when you get guys like Lucas Raymond and Alex Debrinkit, and I'll throw Mika in there, the more the puck's on their stick, the more good things are going to happen around the offensive net. So yeah, it's a small thing, and it's probably not something that's going to manifest itself, you know, visually to most of us, you know, watching the game. Yeah, sure, a little bit of extra speed and a little bit of extra strength will win him battles. We won't notice it until you look at the big picture in the air and it's like, oh, he his takeaways like we're upped by double digits or you know how many times he gets knocked off the puck is decreased by 25 percent over the course of a season that is significant it's also it's also going to help a lot with the attrition that happens over the course of a season 82 games is a long time some may contend too many games in the season i have become a person in that camp over time i think 60 games is the perfect amount for an nhl season but i digress 82 games is a grind and we've seen it take out rookies that take out young players who they've just never done it because there's nothing else like it in the world of professional hockey lucas raymond you saw him kind of wear down over the course of the season part of that too is is teams learned how to play against him elmer soderblom who's not small like lucas raymond he really wore down as the season you know was a grind and, and moved onwards injury played into that as well but still the stronger you are, the less likely you are to be injured over the course of the season. The less each bruise from a hit will hurt or take you out of a game, the less you'll slow down. It's such a grind that maybe isn't appreciated on the TV screen. You're right, Brad. So many of these things are in the margins, and it's not immediately noticeable. You see the results. You know, the team loses more or a player gets fewer points. But those small battles, how many coaches, coaches through every level will tell you, Hockey is played in like a two-by-two box, a two-foot-by-two-foot box or whatever they, you know, measurement they're using depending on the size of the the kids that they're coaching. I know Red Wings fans might not want to hear it, but watch the way Sidney Crosby plays hockey. The reason he has aged so well is because he's probably the best player of his generation or if not one of, but he also is all about the explosiveness and the winning the battles and making the smart plays and, and all that work in the margins to make sure that they add up and amount to, you know, what is an excellent hockey game. So I don't know how I got from Lucas Raymond to Sidney Crosby, but I digress. It is extremely important. It's it's not just a joke. It's not just a meme saying, oh, he gets bigger, he gets better. Genuinely, this is an important part of his development, and it's one of the things that he needs to do to turn things around. Speaking of line combinations earlier, and, and we talked about things mixing up, and in case you find a spark, Derek Lalone did actually really like the Fabry Raymond comfort line in training camp as well. So you're already seeing a mind to potentially finding other options for Raymond to keep up his confidence and keep up the production that you want to see from him. I think the most crucial thing is that he hangs on to a, a lot of power play time. That's going to be very important. Peron for good reason took that spot last year. 
So, and with with whatever configuration it might be, I, I want to see Raymond hang on to that and produce in that spot. Jonathan Berggren, on the outskirts of the lineup, maybe, fighting for that bottom six spot. It's going to be hard because you know the kind of player that Steve Eisenman likes. You know the kind of player that Jericho alone likes. They want to get bigger. They want to get meaner. They want to get tougher to play against. And not just like, you know, goons going out there, John Scott style. They want them to be able to skate and shoot the puck as well. But there are players in the bottom of the lineup who can do that. And Jonathan Berggren kind of trailed off towards the end of last season talking about that attrition. So I think the first day he wasn't in the top 12 forwards and the second day he did skate with them, but he's going to have to earn a spot here. He does. And, you know, not to get back to old habits of the depths of the rebuild, but, you know, one of the problems the Red Wings have in this rebuild right now is you look at the roster as it's projected to be this year, it's old they are not graduating any prospects this year in all likelihood as it's going to shake out now, which in the at this point in a rebuild when they're trying to hit the gas seems insane. And I understand some circumstance with Edvinson and other things have kind of forced Detroit into that, but you can't take a young guy who showed promise last year and regress him. You can't. Yeah. Berggren needs to play. And I understand that you can make a case for all 12 of the guys in the lineup ahead of him. Because, again, as ridiculous as it is to say, the Red Wings have 12 true NHLers that they can parade out in front of him. And you can probably justify any one of them individually over him. I wouldn't agree with that, but you can justify it. Like, I'd understand the argument for each of them. He has to play. Like, this is, you know, Christian Fisher, you know, Clem Costin, David Perron. Most of these guys have no future with the Red Wings when it matters. Berggren might like, again, he might not, he might not be the guy we think he's going to be and whatever that happens. You know, we talked about prospects fizzing out and not making it and busting all the time, but Berggren yeah. was one of the more consistent offensive producers for this team last year, you know, cause the team was again, devoid of offense. And he was the rookie who came in and went, Oh, look, I can do a little bit of this to now pull him out of the lineup sends a bad message, you know? I know it's there's a, a lot, ton of different circumstance, but let's not forget last year. People can make fun of it all you want, but all of Red Wings, you know, social media reporters, everybody was in agreement. Philip Zadina had an awesome preseason and an awesome training camp, and he was healthy scratched on the first game, and he never looked right after that. Are those two things related? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Did it contribute to his, you know, regression when the season started? Maybe, maybe not, but I'd be hesitant to try and find out with Berggren this year. I understand the point you're making. I will contend that Zadina is an especially, you know, mental player or mentally affected player in terms of how his his psyche and his mood and, you know, all the circumstances that happened and trying to make the pro game kind of affected his play. He got in his own head is what I'm trying to say. But I do agree with your overall point. Berggren is a talented player. He brings offense. Are there deficiencies to his game? Yeah, absolutely. He wasn't a perfect player. And the production came a lot earlier on in his stint with the Red Wings, and it kind of trailed off. So they're going to need to see that more you know, consistently. I actually don't have a problem if he comes in and is cycling in as a 13th forward, and that's what he earns over the course of the year. But I would like to see them kind of force the issue with Berggren. You know, being young and, 
enough or, or not graduating any prospects or, you know, the players who have the roster spots now are not not being part of the future. You're not wrong, but I don't even care about that, honestly, Brad. I, I care more about scoring goals. Like, get offense on the board. I am concerned about this team in terms of how much they're going to score. Yes, Raymond looks good. Yes, they brought in Debrinket. Those are great things. Yes, JT Comfer is another, you know, middle six center option to go along with Andrew Kopp. And you hope that between him and Kopp having an injury-free year, they'll produce more. Fabry is healthy. Rasmussen's healthy right now. All those things. Detroit is still a low-end offensive team in terms of projected goal output. They were a low-end teams in terms of real goal output last year. So could they get a lot better? Absolutely. Could the top of the lineup drag that wagon most of the way? Absolutely. Could what Derek Lalone came on our podcast and said and what Steve Eisman has been saying uh, in the depth come together and, and bring together a lot of goals? Absolutely. That's a lot of things to kind of come together at the right time. And it can happen. That's the product of good coaching and, and good team structures. But I don't think the Red Wings should be in the business of leaving talented players out of the lineup. All this with the big, fat, bear-sized grain of salt saying he has to earn his way onto the roster. Like, if he has an atrocious camp and just doesn't do it, then that's the issue settled. You don't force it that hard. But he really, based on what we've seen from him last year, he's talented enough to be in the mix of, of the Red Wings players and, you know, not otherwise. Offense from the blue line, though, Jake Wallman looks to be picking it up right where he left off last season, which is crucial not just for Mo Sider, but for the offense. Not only do I think we could see more uh, offense from Jake Wallman this year, not only do I think we could see more offense from Mo Sider this year, I think we will see equally nothing below them. In terms of offense, outside of the power play, I know Gostaspare is going to help on the power play, but um, yeah, the defense is like it, it. It feels status quo to me, even though it's not. Obviously, I like the addition of Petrie. I like the addition of Gostaspare, but do any of them have the upside that Wallman and Sider do? No, obviously no. not. So you're really hoping for something unexpected to happen in the bottom five defensemen, you know, obviously they're going to have to run a rotation on who's in, in and out of the lineup, but yeah, Wallman fairly or unfairly needs to take a step offensively this year. And all the ingredients and all the signs that that's going to happen are there. They were there last year. They're there in training camp so far this year. They're there and how the team's talking about him. So I am very optimistic for that, but unfairly, he is probably going to be the biggest factor in making up for what's not happening below him in the lineup. Cause we know even in a down year last night, Mo put up over 40 points. So if he even progresses a little bit, he's still going to be a 40, 50 point guy and that's great. And that's helpful and that's needed. But Wallman, when you actually look for how good he was last year, when you actually look at his raw stats in terms of offensive output, it wasn't anything special. He didn't put up a lot of points. No, so that's amazing. Cause he was so noticeable all the time. And some of his goals were highlight reel. Yeah. So, yeah, I I expect him to take a step forward in that category this year. And like I said, unfortunately, he needs to. What I really liked, and I think I read this in Max Baltman's article. I'll link it in the uh, description of this episode. But he, most Sider talked about his chemistry with Wallman. And you could see that on the ice. This isn't a dig at Sherratt. It's not meant to be, but. Sherratt and Sider, that very obviously just didn't work out as a first pair. The team wanted it to. It didn't. 
Not only did it not work, it actually hampered Mo Sider quite a bit. It is the inverse with Jake Wallman. The moment you put those two together, we saw a better Mo Sider. We saw what Jake Wallman can do and what a gem he's turned out to be. But Sider really kind of refound, reclaimed what he was doing in his rookie season. And by the end of the year, you were like, yep, that's the Mo Sider we know and love. And he is getting better. And this is, you know, a top end defenseman in this league. And that is the future of the Red Wings on the blue line right there. So for them to still be noting that chemistry during the offseason on and off the ice, like that's crucial. I don't disagree, Brad. I think you're right. So much is riding on them because it's kind of like the forward group, but on defense. The top end looks really good. And then below them, you know, you don't want to knock those players. They're not bad players. It's better than Detroit has had in a long, long time. But you can't expect the world from them offensively or in terms of performance on the ice. So, yep, it's, you know, Wallman stood out over training camp and that looks to be continuing. And that's the kind of promise I'll actually buy into, even though it's just training camp, because that stayed over the course of last season. Like that pair just looked good over the course of last season. They weren't perfect every game, mind you. They played for the Detroit Red Wings, but that pair is is really, really pivotal. And I have a lot of faith, you know, health provided that they can actually perform for the Red Wings. Behind them on defense, we saw Ole Mata and Justin Hall play together, as well as I think they put Goss to spare with Ed, no Petrie with Edvinson. So Edvinson, who's likely not going to make the team, just recovering from shoulder surgery, and then Johansson with Goss to spare, which is they just stuck Petrie and Goss to spare with the rookies to see how that all shook out. Mata and Hall might turn out to actually be a pair. A very, very boring pair, which I would be 100% in favor of. If Justin Hall ends up on a boring pair, that is exactly what they brought in Justin Hall for. 100%. Name a more... Boring defenseman in the NHL than Ole Mata. Take it. We'll take it. We loved boring Oh, Ole yeah. This, that, that was not said as a dig. That was yeah. said as a compliment. Yeah. Boring Ole Mata got Detroit a first-round pick in the Hronik trade. So <laughs> yeah. they owe him quite a bit. And he got his extension, which was good. Goaltending. It looks like Huso is going to shoulder about the same load as he did last year, which is mildly concerning to me. I'm hoping that between Reimer and Lyon one of them can step up and absorb more of those games, but it does seem like both goalies are performing well so far. Uh, Derek Lalone went so far as to call out, yeah, Lyon had a good day, but Reimer really, really had a, a, a strong day for the Red Wings in camp. So too early to call a pecking order, but based on contracts, based on age, based on experience, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it, this turns out to be a Huso Reimer situation for the most part. Oh man, I really hope that this is a trio somehow. I don't see them clearing waivers if they go down, and I think the Red Wings kind of knew that when they went through, so they might have an interesting decision to make whether to carry three goalies or risk losing one of them because Reimer's making more dollars this year, but Lyon got the two-year contract, so it could be interesting what they favor Yeah, there. I don't know if that's the right word, but it, you know, one of them has to step up. So as long as we're getting reports that they look good, it, ultimately with goaltending and training camp, it means nothing, but it's better than hearing they were bad. So I'll take it as a win because I don't care what happens between Reimer and Lyon as long as Billy Huso plays 50 games and the Red Wings get 32 games of adequate goaltending beyond that. And today was the uh, red and white game where the team obviously played this kind of intra-squad scrimmage. Big goal from Yanni Burgers. 
That red and white game is the second last feature of training camp. One more practice on Monday before they head into the preseason, which they kick off on Tuesday, September 26th against Pittsburgh. They have a game on Thursday, September 28th against Washington, the 30th against Washington, and it'll go on and on, and we'll cover that as it goes. Just know in advance that not every player goes to every exhibition game. You're going to see players cycle in and out, especially players that they want to get a, a you know more of a look at. On the road, typically, is when you see those guys. The feature players tend to play a little bit more at home, but I digress. The Red Wings did cut down their roster a little bit this uh, today, before the end of training camp, the most notable players removed from the lineup were Andrew Gibson and Tanias Mathurin, who are sent to their respective major junior teams. The other cuts from training camp were Oren Santazo, Cam Hillis from their PTOs, Matthias Malovsky, Israel Mayanskum, and Jake Uberti, Finn Harding, Connor Punnett, and goaltender Lucas Matecha. So those are all just players they used to fill out training camp, which is why you've not heard any of their names before. All right, let's jump into our next little topic here, which is projections on the wings this year and you know what to expect from the wings. We're now getting into kind of team NHL preview season. Our first divisional preview is going to happen next episode, so we're no different. But as the Red Wings are evaluated by the rest of the league, there is a range wherein they're kind of falling. I think the athletics projection of them was 85 points, which I don't think is terribly far off what our own projections are that we talked about earlier in the offseason and that we'll have our, our Red Wings season preview later on. But that's about where they're at. And there seems to be a kind of consensus in terms of, yes, the Red Wings don't have these elite players. And yes, they're going to potentially struggle against Buffalo or Ottawa because they've made steps as well. And, and that's who they have to compete with. But the label of make or break, that is starting to come out a little bit more. And I don't even think you need Steve Eisman to say it in his interviews. And I don't think you need Derek Malone to say it in his interviews, but they are in that this season isn't, they want to see progress. They want to see improvement, but this isn't the year where it's all going to happen, right? What is the future of this team? It's Lucas Raymond, Mo Sider, probably Dylan Larkin still kicking around, maybe Jake Wallman still kicking around, and then most of the rest of this roster, like obviously there's going to be a couple, are going to be gone. The future of this team won't be playing for the Red Wings this year. The Simon Edmondson, Nate Danielson, Marco Casper, Axel Sandin Pelica, hopefully Sebastian Cosa, if not Trey Augustine, uh, Carter Mazer, on and on and on and on. They're the make or break guys for this rebuild. Yeah. Them, those guys in the minors, in junior. Again, not fair to put it on them, and we've beat that to death over the summer, but that's the reality of it. There are three, maybe four players on the roster whose development is imperative to the future of the Red Wings, and the majority of the development has to come from outside of Detroit. If the Red Wings suck this year, let's say they put up 72 points. But Lucas Raymond puts up 70 points. Mo Sider's a 50-plus point-plus player. Larkin's around a point per game. And Jake Wallman, you know, has his offensive breakout and is at, like, 35 points. Is that a positive development for the future of this team? Yeah. Do we care if Ole Mata or Justin Hole or Jeff Petrie or David Perron or Christian Fisher fall off a cliff? Yeah, it's bad for morale, 
but they have no impact on the future of this team other than they are there to bring some wins this year to bring Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider into a playoff race. Get a taste of it. I know I'm oversimplifying this, obviously, but that's essentially what this is. Is this a make or break year for Detroit? Absolutely the hell not. Everybody else in their division is loading up around them. I will say this now. I will say this up to our preview, and I will say this during the season until we get a real clear picture of what happens. The most likely path for the Detroit Red Wings this year is they improve. They improve in the standings. They improve on the ice. Key players on the team improve, and they finish seventh in the division. Yeah, 100%. And there's not a damn thing they can do about it. Ottawa's gearing up. Buffalo's gearing up. Boston's still good. Florida's still good. Tampa's still good. Toronto's still good. So if they finish seventh, are we going to sit here and go, terrible year, the rebuild's a failure? It was make or break and they broke? Of course not. Like It's a dumb narrative. It is perfectly fair to poke holes in the Red Wings lineups. Hell, we do it more than anybody else. It is perfectly fair to point out, hey, they don't have a lot of young guys in the lineup for a team that's rebuilding. Perfectly fair. I, I, I actually agree with you. Oh, their goaltending's unproven. Yep. How is any of, like, this is not make or break, though, because these are not make or break for guys who are 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 years old. These are, this is a team that's going to be leaning largely on guys in their late 20s and early 30s, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond notwithstanding. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Will there be a pleasant surprise? Does Valeno have a breakout year and all of a sudden he's an important piece of the future? Does Michael Rasmussen maybe tickle 45, 50 points this year and all of a sudden maybe he's looking at as a more important player? Because again, I think where he's at right now is being overinflated, but that's another conversation. Um, Clem Costin, could he be a dude? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But until it actually happens throughout the season, we don't know. And those would be pleasant surprises, not necessities to the future of this team. So... Again, when you are reading a preview and they go, the Red Wings are going to finish seventh. They're going to be mid-80s in the points. You should look at that and go, yeah, that's very fair. That's that's probably going to be very close to what actually happens. Uh, make or break, throw that crap right out the window. Yeah, and you know what? If there's an indictment or there's a review on how Steve Eisman has built this team, and you know we've talked about this till we're blue in the face and we're blue in the face. Now we're only going to get bluer in the face. It's just the nature of, of where the Red Wings are at. And like Brad said, until we get a clear picture of this season and beyond, this is what's going to happen. But if this is a review on how the team was constructed and when Eisenman hit the gas and acknowledging, you know, a lack of lottery luck or whatever, that's well and good. And it's actually correct. We've talked about it a lot on this show, but there's no real point in pretending this team as it's constructed was constructed to be a playoff contender. Yes, the Red Wings playoff won a contender. Yes, Sorry. cop contender. Yes, no. Yeah, that's a good clarification. I mean, like a, a a strong playoff contender. This isn't the Carolina Hurricanes. This isn't the Colorado Avalanche, for obvious reason. Now, nobody builds a team to try to lose. Ah, uh, Chicago, but still, nobody. The Red Wings aren't building this team to try to get worse. No, they did a lot of what they could with the avenues that they could take over the off season. Some folks contend too much in terms of bringing in players over the off season, but. There's only so much you can do. So part if if you want to have a conversation about what the Red Wings should have done over the last three or four years, that's one thing. Talking about what the Red Wings are going to do this season, you have to accept the reality of, like you said, Brad, the landscape changed around them as they were changing. They could grow. They can get better in every single way. And because their division got so good and there's so much talent, it could mean 
net zero in terms of, you know, trying to make the playoffs. I can see an avenue for this team if they take runs like they did last year and they get really, really solid goaltending and they stay healthy and Lucas Raymond takes a step where they could be contenders for that wildcard spot. I will not say that that's crazy at all. We saw last year with our own eyes what they did with a worse roster. So yeah, that's absolutely an avenue. But your takeaways for the season, whether you like it or not, and if if you want to have a conversation about the rebuild overall, that's a separate conversation. But this season is about improving for the future. And that happens in small pockets on the Red Wings, like Brad said. That happens with Axel Sandin Pelica over in Sweden. That happens with Nate Danielson in the CHL. That happens with Sebastian Kosa, hopefully having a strong season with with Grand Rapids, Trey Augustine, etc. But anything that happens on ice for the Red Wings this year is just a cherry on top to me. It, it doesn't, and, and I want to finish this up by saying we have complained and whined and groaned on the show about missing watching good hockey. There, was, there has not been any more fun that we've ever had on the show than those two weeks where it looked like the Red Wings controlled their playoff destiny. They were in a playoff spot. In a playoff spot by points and point percentage in February. And I, that was that, electric. I, and that's the crazy thing is I think every national writer has completely forgotten about that. Cause when you read the narratives from last season, it's like you weren't watching the same team we were. No. They ended up with 80 points. And how many did they drop after those two losses to Ottawa? Oh, yeah. Like they fell apart. Rasmussen got hurt. Huso got worn down. Bertuzzi, Hironik were gone. No crap. They regressed. If they had just ran status quo to the end of the year, would they have made the playoffs? Probably not. Would they have been really damn close to the playoffs and well north of 80 points? A hundred percent. Last year's Red Wings were, and I know if they didn't get the points, they didn't get the points. But last year's Red Wings, without like the typical rebuild end of year, you fall off and just maximize your draft pick, whatever. They were more of an 86 point team than an 80 point team that they ended up. To me, real success is if the Red Wings can reach that 90 point plateau this year. Yeah. And 90 points does not get you in the playoffs. Normally, it's somewhere between 95 and 100 points. Last year was actually the aberration where it was a little lower than that, so don't expect that to repeat. Yeah. So you can go, oh, if they only add 14 points, they're in. I don't think that happens this year, and adding 14 points isn't easy. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. But, yeah, if they, again, I think we mentioned everybody, I shouldn't even say we, everybody's mentioned, if the Red Wings are playing meaningful hockey games in terms of playoff relevancy into late March, that's a win. Even if they don't get in, that's improvement, that's positive direction, that's getting the Mosiders, the Lucas Raymonds, meaningful, important hockey games in crunch time, which is a plus for their development. And if the Red Wings end up picking ninth overall again when it's all said and done, hey, doesn't hurt. And that's our soapbox that no one asked for. Don't worry, the season's starting soon. Next episode's a first divisional preview. You're free. You're free of this conversation for a little bit after that. Yeah. <laughs> a one or two meaningful guests next episode of division preview. It's going to, yeah. <laughs> less, less diatribes, less tangents, less soapbox standing. More actual hockey to talk about. Okay. Speaking of actual hockey, let's talk about the rest of the NHL. Steven Stamkos coming into the last year of his deal made a very public statement about how he's disappointed that the Tampa Bay brass and uh, GM Brisebois have not kind of talked about an extension. He was hoping to get something done before camp. It's been made obvious by the team that that's not going to happen and that they're going to take the year to evaluate. Julian Brisebois, when asked about it, was very clear in that, you know, you know, 
et cetera, et cetera. Stamkos is a important part of this team. We wanted him to retire a Tampa Bay Lightning player, but we need to kind of assess everything and make sure that we take stock of our options and make sure that we can have a good team overall. Pretty much what they're saying is they need to see how the season's going to play out. Stamkos probably wants another long-term deal, probably wants a good amount of money. He's not, you know, he's a 100-point player recently, so he's going to command that, but he's also 34 years old. And that's big. You know, Stamkos is still a big player in this league, and he'll command a lot of interest if he doesn't end up with the Lightning. The irony is is kind of palpable here because Steven Stamkos brought it down to the wire with the Lightning with his last contract and was shopping around with other teams. So to me, I kind of say, you know, this is within the team's rights and that's what they can do. I think it's a bold move to take with one of the faces of your franchise. But what do you make of this? This is one of those examples where nobody should be taking a hill to die on when forming an opinion on this. Steven Stamkos is right. He's still a really damn good player. He's still a very important part of that team. Tampa is right. He's in his mid-30s, and you do not give... 33, not 34. Yeah, Yeah, he's 33 years old, and you do not give 33-year-olds term and significant dollars. Both are true. And history has taught us the responsible course of action here if Stamkos is... Demands continue to be term and dollars would be for Tampa to let him walk because you don't pay 33 year olds significant money with term. You don't. Is there a reality? Stamkos is still a really productive player worth, you know, eight, nine million dollars a year for four more years. Yeah, maybe, you know, he's, he's a guy who doesn't rely on speed. So there is the possibility, but again, Ryan, in this situation, what has history taught us? Father time's undefeated. Exactly. Is his regression coming this year? Is it coming when he's 37? We don't know. But it's coming, and it's coming soon. For me, you do kind of have to feel for him. You know, Stamkos went through all of the painful years before they got to the cup-winning dominant years. He watched Kucherov sign a long-term contract. He watched Braden Point get his deal. He watched Sorelli and Paul just get long-term deals. Sergachev just got a mega contract. Brandon Hagel. Yeah, like they're handing out long-term deals, often in smart ways. I think I think they're good gambles to take, but they are handing out money and they're handing out term. And he's thinking, I he's probably thinking, I'm the captain. I'm the face of this franchise. I'm the, you know, the first overall pick. I am the guy who came back from some devastating injuries. I put up 100 points just two seasons ago. I've played 81 games the last two years. Yeah, I'm not going to ask for maybe eight years, but maybe I'll take six or seven. And maybe I'm not going to ask for $10 million, but maybe I'll take a discount for my previous $8.5 million to eight because the cap is rising, something like that. And it's got to be tough because hockey is an emotional sport and the team building aspect of it is emotional. And, you know, he was the leader through these cup victories and through this dominant era it's got to it's got to grind you the wrong way it's you almost can never conceive of players like Stamkos at this point in their career finishing it any other way than in Tampa Bay the entire time but when it sours at this point it sours in a bad way so if this does go south i could see another team across the league maybe getting him on a shorter term contract for big bucks overpaying him and then having one hell of a piece for their own run in the future or 
the de facto Tampa, they just get it done. The player signs for such a team-friendly deal, and we all go, how does Tampa always do this? Damn it. You're right about all the things Stamkos is probably feeling, and all those things are objectively true. But you know what all those other players uh, are that he isn't? Younger. Under the age of 33. Yeah, it's it's tough because the age curve is, like, the smart thing to do is to apply it. As a cap goes up, it's a little less impactful, but salaries catch up to the cap no matter what. So you really do have to be smart in how you build your team. The Red Wings are a, a massive example of that. Where we talked about with the Cider contract, hey, you're young guys, you take the gamble and you get them locked up long-term for, you know, pretty decent dollars immediately because it's only going up because way more often than not, it proves to be the wise decision for a 33-year-old, the inverse is true. A lot of teams pony up for these guys because they don't want to lose them and then they fall off a cliff and it becomes a disaster quickly. There are always exceptions to the rule on both sides and Stamkos could very well be the exception to the rule. But if you want to be a good GM in the NHL, you have to play the odds. And the odds state that if you give Stamkos a five-year deal, he is going to regress well before the fifth year of that deal. Elsewhere in the league, Tanner Pearson, who is looking to be back now after some pretty terrible injury and then recovery luck. Uh, he had surgery in Vancouver. Many yeah. surgeries on the hand. Like, however many is being reported, it's more. And we're not talking two or three. It's like a half dozen. Like, ill-advised stuff to the point where his career was in jeopardy. So bad blood between him and Vancouver for good reason. I think there was some changeover in the actual medical staff that happened there. And if you're hearing about change in medical staff, it's bad in the NHL because no one keeps track of that. But anyhow, Tanner Pearson gets a fresh start with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Vancouver sent Pearson and a third-round pick, 2025 third, in exchange for Casey DeSmith. They had to give up a third to offload essentially $1.45 million in, in contract, which isn't the best. Like Pearson's a good pickup for Montreal. Good for them. Yeah, he's a guy. Yep. He's a dude. And no knock on DeSmith at all, but... Well, he's an upgrade from Spencer Martin, who was projected to be Vancouver's backup. And if Vancouver want, has any thoughts of making the playoffs this year, which is in the realm of possibility in the West, uh, yeah, Spencer Martin, who was one of the worst statistical goalies in the NHL last year, cannot play 20-30 games. So not, not a bad move for them. I have, as I always do with Vancouver, though, I have thoroughly enjoyed watching from afar. Not entirely different to conversations we've had about the Red Wings over the eight and a half years we've done this podcast, but the philosophical discussion of why are we giving up picks to yeah. offload contracts at this point in the team's rebuild? What the hell are we doing conversation? Yeah, had to get under the cap right after missing the playoffs. Gotta love when that happens. Yeah, it's not like I'm laughing, but it's not entirely dissimilar to some poorly managed rebuilds and late started rebuilds and we should be real bit rebuilding, but we're not rebuilding yet rebuilds. So that, that's been entertaining. Speaking of entertaining, Brad Marchand with a C on his jersey. Holy hell do I love it. First good thing the Bruins have done for me in a long, long time. Those new jerseys are awesome as well. Oh, they're sick. Yeah. I love them. Oh, well, hey, we hate a lot of things about the Bruins, but their uniforms are not one of them. No. Classic. No. Just beautiful yeah. jerseys. But uh, we were hoping. Brad Marchand has gone so far into the <laughs> villain territory that he leans into it. I respect it. I love it. The entertainment factor is going to be through the roof. And hey, 
Brad Marchand's a really good hockey player. He is a leader in that dressing room. He is a leader on that team. Makes all the sense in the world for the Bruins and their locker room. But for the rest of us, yes. Entertainment value. I can't wait to see the chaos in the ice. The worst thing that could possibly happen here is that he gives up his shtick and just becomes like a more level-headed player on the ice. No one wants that. We've all spent the last however many years, you know, learning to love to hate. Brad Marchand, don't take that away from us now. Just amplify it, please. Make it as chaotic as Roberto Luongo with the C painted on his mask, skating all the way across the ice to talk to the refs about a penalty. I want to see Brad Marchand, like, you know, waving his C at opponents or holding up the C with his hands (laughs) when he's in an argument or, like, pointing to, you know, an important player on the other team who doesn't have the C, just tapping him on the chest right there going, where's your C? I, I, please, this is what I need. And just one other note, this one we've been following for a while. It's it's one of the bigger topics and bigger. I mean, you're at the end of camp. You're, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel before hockey's played because all business is really taken care of at this point of the year generally. But Ottawa, speaking of teams in a tough cap situation, Ottawa is not a playoff team and they're in a tough cap situation. And they have to sign Shane Pinto. He's a 10.02 c restricted free agent, which means he can't be offer sheeted, but he needs a contract. And he's part of their center depth, or he should be part of their important center depth for the future. They have Tim Stutzla, they have Josh Norris, they're hoping he gets healthy, and they want to have Shane Pinto, but it doesn't seem to be close in terms of contract, so they're going to have to do something here. What's funny is, the angle other teams are taking to approach this is, yeah, just trade Shane Pinto. Boom, solved. But you don't generally want to trade good players like that. So from a Red Wings perspective, this is interesting to see because he's an important part of how they might perform this year. But also overall, if a player like Shane Pinto is on the block or if Ottawa has to give up assets to get, you know, make space, that could be a an interesting one to follow. I'll repeat, always a great sign when you have to get under the cap a year after missing the playoffs. And they have no cap space and Shane Pinto is going to cost some dollars. So not only are are they likely a part on like term and dollars, but there's the cap gymnastics that have to go along with this as well. Cause even if they agree on a contract, they have to make a move. Like they can't just plug them in at this point. So, you know, fantastic cap management for a team who just missed the playoffs. I read a comment somewhere. I think it was a screenshot from Reddit that I saw on Twitter, but it was something like Pierre Dorian. There's no GM in the league that has, such high highs and such low lows like Pierre Dorian. <laughs> and that is just absolutely 100% true. If he does lose his job in Ottawa, I hope another team picks him up because he's just so entertaining. And without the shackles of Eugene Melnick holding him back, he has just become so much more like emboldened and does whatever the hell he wants and things move a little quicker. I want every summer to be the summer of Pierre because it's funny. Do you hear the rumor about Shirelli potentially being linked in like a consulting or, or senior advising position to the senators? God, I hope so. Please. Because that's very, very funny. All right, let's jump into overtime here. Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to go above and beyond in supporting the show. You not only get the benefits that I talked about at the top of the show, like the Discord, the bonus episodes, the giveaways, but you also help support everything we do on the show. Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or link in the description of this episode. Get your tickets today. Those are only made possible by our patrons. Our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, 
the expanded Winged Wheel podcast content universe, for example, right now, Expected by Whom, a show hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro, who are doing some phenomenal interviews. Please go give them a listen. That's all made possible by our patrons. Everything we do on the show is is through them. They're the real heartbeat of the show. So if you do want to take that next step in, in supporting us a little bit more, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Before we do that, though, we have a proud dad moment to acknowledge here. Brad, Mika, who was born a year into us starting this podcast, has officially made... Actually, I'll let you do the honors. Yep. So Mika's uh, first ever hockey tryouts wrapped up yesterday at the U8 level, obviously with her turning seven not that long ago. She tried out for the top level team. She made the top level team, but not for girls. She made the boys team. I'm not surprised. Knowing Mika, she's already the most talented Crisco in terms of hockey, that's been the case for a while. In general, really. <laughs> but seeing her react to that just melted me into a massive puddle. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm generally emotionally dead inside, but like that was the closest I've become to a, like a blubbering idiot in a long, long, long time. PWHL, watch out. Mika Crisco will be draft eligible in some amount of time. 2034. Detroit, you better have a team by then. All right, let's take some questions from our patrons. Mike Hansen says, newish patron here. Mike, thank you so much for your support and welcome to the Dub Dub Club. He says, with the return of Michigan kid Debrinkit and past talk of Southwestern Ontario kid Bo Horvat coming home to Detroit, are there any other quote unquote local guys we could see either the Wings targeting or players wanting to come home to play for the Wings where we might be able to get on a decent deal, either contract or trade value? Hellebuck is the only one I've heard of recently. Cheers. Kyle Connor. Kyle Connor, but that won't be cheap. No, yeah, reasonable deal uh, doesn't exist. Um, Connor and Hellebuck were the first two that immediately jumped to mind. There's been a lot of guys who have played for the University of Michigan, but they're not necessarily from the area. Uh, and Michigan's a, a great hockey state, so they have players everywhere. Oh, yeah. Where are the Hughes brothers from? I know they played for Michigan, and obviously they're American, but I actually, off the top of my head, cannot remember where they're from. Orlando, Florida. That doesn't feel right. Yeah, I know, right? They're they, they're Michigan kids through and through, and they're like so much of their identity is because of Michigan. Yeah, but um, either way, yeah, there's not like a ton of like superstar level Michiganders floating around the NHL that uh, the Red Wings would be able to target. Give me Kyle Connor and Zach Wierenski, and I'll I'll be happy. You know, there you go. Yeah, but yeah, those wouldn't be cheap, and Wierenski's not for sale. Jennifer Reed, our good friend, says, "What are your individual benchmarks for Raymond to have a good season?" 60 points. Yeah, I'll say good. 25 goals, 35 assists, 60 points, I think is fair. I think great is he pushes past that. I think great is he hits the 30 goal mark. That'd be awesome for Raymond. It's a big ask, but I think he has the talent in him. It's not like asking 30 goals of of Michael Rasmussen, which I'm not saying is impossible, but you look at the skill and talent level of Lucas Raymond and how we know he can shoot the puck. That'd be great for me. I think 60 is fair. I would like to, like a, a best case scenario, but realistic outcome for Raymond is he hovers around that point per game mark, kind of where Larkin is right now. That might be asking a lot, at least at this stage in his career. Sorry, eventually. Yeah, like eventually. That's who he yes, becomes. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Wallstedt is a four letter word, says with several prospects getting to the AHL, do you expect a bounce back year in Grand Rapids? 
No, I'm going to beat this to death because it's a common misconception with the AHL. Prospects do not win you games in the AHL. Those veteran tweeners win you game in the games in the AHL, the Chris Terry's of the world, the guys who are way too good for the AHL but have been around for 10 years but are not quite well-rounded enough to make the NHL, and then they just come in and put up like a point and a half per game in the AHL. Young prospects making the jump from juniors or Europe to the AHL tend to struggle. Like, even when they're doing well, they're not at the level of some of those, you know, AHL lifers in a lot of instances. So I will say there's going to be a bounce back here from Grand Rapids this year because they were real bad last year, but I don't think it's going to be, you know... Uh, Riding the show in the AHL. Exactly. It's it's hard with new coaching, too. It's It's such a complicated league to do well, and it's such a fine balance of talented players, talented young players, but often the best players in the AHL couldn't cut it in the NHL. And sometimes players who don't perform well in the AHL, but by the time they make the show, you know, become NHL regulars. It's it's kind of bizarre, and you get a feel for it after watching over time. Weeb Wheel Podcast, that name's really funny. It always gets me. Says, uh, Edvinson was sold as a super high-variance prospect. Given what we've seen so far, where would you have him slotting in two to three years and assuming normal development on the wings or on a cup contender? Number three D, kind of your well-rounded do-it-all defenseman, but who is really good at shutting down defensively. I think there's enough offense there to keep him interesting and to keep him on the second pair that he won't be that guy who's like completely devoid of uh, offense like some other players of his, I don't know what to call it, build. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he'll he'll be a number three D, I think is around best case scenario. Assuming normal development, I think 3D on Red Wings, four to five guy on a cup contender is normal but good. Could see, you know, maybe he's Detroit's second best defenseman, but that's not normal. That's like best case scenario. And even if he is the second best defenseman, you're not playing him with Cider because, again, you need some talent below Cider in the lineup. So you have Edmondson anchor that second pair. Cider anchors the first. And on a cup contender, someone young like him isn't, Typically not going to get the top pair minutes, so four or five guy. Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe. Speaking of Coyotes, that Logan Cooley goal. Holy, holy man. God, there's going to be so many new Australian Coyotes fans. That is, well, hell, in a few years, they might be the, you know, Sydney Coyotes for all we know the way it's going. But. <laughs> that was, you watch that and you're like, I can't believe that kid was thinking about going back to college this year. <laughs> yeah, honestly. My God. Shameful defending. I think it was at Kempe, whoever was wearing. Doesn't matter. But that was just sick. Unreal. If I was any one of the LA Kings in that clip, I'm erasing it and I'm just passing out like one of those goats if anyone tries to play it in front of me. You know, as a four, I don't, I wouldn't even think to attempt what he did and take the lane he did. Cause if I try that, I'm getting my head taken off. Yeah. Like, how did he? that off. Unreal. I'm happy for the fans in Australia. That was a good show for them. Oh, it was unreal. Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe says, if the Red Wings don't make the playoffs but improve on their point totals during the next two seasons, like we just talked about, one, how acceptable is that to you guys? It doesn't matter. It depends what's happening with the players under the age of 25 in that time. And I, I hate that we're still at that point, but that is the reality the reality of the situation it's acceptable to me because i think that comes with better hockey to watch like if some of the season is like those two weeks and some of the season like a lot of the season is like they're playing decently then that's fine by me uh how acceptable do you think it will be for fans at large um it'll be a mixed bag 
with what the national writers have been pushing, I can see the unrest setting in soon. If the Red Wings don't make the playoffs, which is the most likely scenario, there will be more conversations, fair or not fair, about the rebuild and Eisman's job and you know what has to happen next offseason. I will say 65-35, well-received to not if the Red Wings get better but don't make the playoffs. How acceptable do you think it will be to ownership? Again, it depends. Because if we watch Nate Danielson absolutely torch the WHL this year and we watch Marco Casper come in next season and put up 40 to 50 points and Sandine Pelica, who's off to a phenomenal start in Sweden, uh, by the way, this year. He looks great. He looks unreal. If he's crushing it in Sweden, you know, I think ownership can accept that because, you know... (laughs) The reality of the situation, and as dumb as it is to say, they're going to look at Danielson and Cindy Pelican and whoever and see the dollar signs jumping off of them when they get over here. So, you know, it might be all right. And also fair to say, like, Eisenman has done enough public posturing in terms of, you know, we need to fill the seats and we need to give fans something to watch and we need, like, revenue it matters. Whether or not the way he's acted, you know, at the last trade deadline, he sold Bertuzzi and Hronik, so that was a different story, and that was the right thing to do. There's been enough lip service to that publicly. So you know that's part of his conversation with Chris Illich whenever they talk. You, They are where they are. It's the same as they answered the previous questions. Like, this is the reality. Eisenman has already done a lot to move things forward. And if that was ever a concern, you can say, look, I hit the gas earlier than maybe we should have. And if money and revenue wasn't an object, I would have waited longer and tried for the Bedard lottery and, and beyond. So... To me, you couldn't begrudge ownership for not being thrilled, but this is just the kind of reality you have to accept. Next question here from Highly Illegal Hartford Fishing Operations says, it's difficult to ignore Elmer's performance in Traverse City. I think he makes the big club again. I do think he's going to take a roster spot again eventually. Whether it's at the start of the year or not, I'm not sure, but he looked good. And he he has the size and he has the talent. He did a lot of the things that we talked about, you know, before uh, the prospect tournament. We said, what do you want to see from him? And that's exactly what we saw. Yeah, but he didn't exceed our expectations. He met them. So I don't know how much that changes the projection for me this year. Last name Cider, first name Dixon says, thoughts on Casper throughout camp in the red and white game. He's been a bit of a ghost. I don't know if that's a pun or not. I think Casper is is destined for the AHL this year. I, You know, a lot can change between now and the end of preseason, of course, but just with the logjam ahead of him and there's no real rush to put him on the big squad, I think the Griffins is where he's kind of looking towards now, yeah? Yeah, the Griffins are probably a pretty friendly spot for him. The Jacked Scientist says, Hey guys, who's a prospect that you each have a personal soft spot for? Could be a favorite too, but someone you, for whatever reason, root for a little extra outside of the need him to hit requirement. Oh, man. It was Sobrango for me before he got traded. Tough. Yeah, tough look. Yeah. Uh, Who would be the new one for me in that category? I haven't put much thought into it, honestly. It's hard to say soft spot for a while, very obviously. It was Zadina. And even after he was no longer a prospect, it was Zadina. And part of that was I just you see it there and you're like, just unlock it. Damn it, man. Now. Oh, now I have my answer. I can't believe I forgot. We've, I've already talked about him in the last one. Sandine Pelica. 
Does well, he even need a soft spot, though? I don't yeah. care. I don't care. He's the best prospect on this team. Fight me. <laughs> I'm uh, not just because he came on the show. He's a friend of the podcast, but Carter Mazur for me. I love how instantly proven wrong I was about that pick in terms of I like the player, but is he really going to turn into a Bertuzzi type or is he going to be more of a Helm type? No, he's looking more like the former and he has just been good through and through. That type of player is so rare in this league, and so I love when players like him make it. So, yeah, absolutely amazing for me. Okay, why don't we wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Again, Winged Wheel Podcast tonight at the LCA, Saturday, November 4th, against the Boston Bruins. Get your tickets. The first 400 get the co-branded Red Wings and Bruins beanie. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings, or go to the link in the description of this episode. And for those of you who want to go the extra mile to support us, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. And if you want to support us, but don't want to support on Patreon, give this podcast a rating wherever you listen, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google, it makes a big difference. Also hit subscribe and tell a friend about the show. If you know someone who would, you know, like listening to a podcast and just don't know how, or haven't listened to a podcast before and like the Red Wings, show them the winged wheel podcast. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Ease Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, A Squinty Face, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brad Owes Me a Beanie, Brian J. Bauer, who's a new name level sponsor, welcome Brian to the Dub Dub Club. Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Rutana Nenaluski, Carzone 13, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nay Nay, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble, Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, The Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Ax- Axel's Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Clapping Bombs and Respectin' Moms, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Oophelia, Stephen, The Hotag, the Hat 123, Winging It in San Diego, Wings Fan in Alaska, X, formerly AA Ron, your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Division previews start Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.